Welcome to Spiritual Psychology. My name is Renee LaValle McKenna, and I bring my 30 plus years as a recovering addict and ex crazy person turned therapist and shamanic healer to bring you snackable teachings on spirituality, psychology, and all things personal growth. And today I want to talk about real love. Love is a word we throw around constantly. I love my dog. I love my car. I love my boyfriend. I love the sunshine. Love is a deeply complex and enormous concept that has implications on every area of our life and our felt experience of it. And I think it's ridiculous we only have one little word to describe all those different relationships. In Greek, there are seven distinct words to describe love. Eros is romantic or passionate love. Philia is intimate, deep friendship. Ludus is playful, flirtatious love. Storge, unconditional familial love. Philautia, self-love. Pragma, committed companion love. And agape, empathic universal love. And they don't even talk about love of material objects or places like your home, your clothing. I love this shirt. Or love of experience. I love going to Maui. And words are very powerful. They allow us to describe, intellectually understand and conceptualize our life experience, the nuance, the distinctions of both the physical and the non-physical world. And so what is love? This tiny word that we use to describe so many powerful exchanges in our life. And I think it's frequently misused. In my own self-examination, I have come to see myself as both a love addict and a love avoidant at different times. Early in my life, I confused love for neediness and obligation, a sense of security and kind of insecure fear-based attachment. And when I was feeling my own existential insecurity, I would try to get my claws into someone else hoping they could fill that void. That would be my love addict pursuant mode, which often included playing hard to get so that they would want me. Because feeling wanted, feeling needed, feeling desired was part of what I considered love. And conversely, when I experienced the insecurity, the neediness, when I could hear that kind of deep sucking sound from another person, (laughs) then I became a love avoidant. But what I was avoiding was not what I consider love in my understanding today. What I was avoiding was the other person's incompleteness that they wanted me to fill. And often romantic love relationships will do that dance of one person pursuing and the other person avoiding and then flipping around and the pursuer becoming avoidant and the avoider becoming the pursuant and they chase each other around back and forth. It's quite dramatic. Often includes a lot of passion and great sex, dramatic emotional fights, and opportunities to make up and do it all over again. And our culture is fairly obsessed with romantic love. Starting with the earliest Disney stories, we are indoctrinated into the idea that finding a partner will complete us. And there are many healthy reasons to have intimate partnership. Becoming a whole person, unfortunately, is not one of them because it doesn't work. In my experience, the most mature, the most nourishing, The most grounded and ecstatic love experiences have been in relationships where we are both whole people 
coming together to celebrate each other in the experiences that we share. And love is an exchange. And when we think about love, we can consider what am I receiving in this exchange and what am I bringing or giving in this exchange? And the deeper question is what are my motives? Is this selfish or is it selfless? My favorite definition of love is to extend oneself for another's spiritual growth. And if I'm looking to receive love, the best thing I can do is grow in my capacity to give love. Because on the energetic and emotional plane, water really seeks its own level. All those dysfunctional relationships that I've had in my life were not a coincidence. In fact, I came to notice that there was a common denominator in all of them, and it was me. And of the 7 billion people on the planet, I chose that person. And for me, romantic relationships and friendships, certainly my family, didn't feel like a choice. Friendships often just happened by circumstance. My romantic relationships usually happened by falling in love. And on a personality level, I didn't have much choice about who my family was. I say on a personality level because on a soul level or on a karmic level, it could be understood that perhaps we do choose our family to some extent. And if you're interested to explore that topic, you could check out my podcast, Karma and Family of Origin. It's number 48. I've done a lot of falling in love in my life. And the problem with falling in love is that you often fall out of it. And when we fall in love, our ego boundaries dissolve very much like an infant in their mother's arms. And particularly if you didn't have good bonding with your mother, you might be really susceptible to wanting that secure attachment with another person. As an adult, I didn't bond with my mother, so I was kind of chronically seeking that through other people. And there's good news and bad news. The bad news is it'll never work to use an adult relationship to heal our deeper emotional wounds. What the adult relationship can do is evoke our deeper wounds and show us the inner psychological and spiritual work we need to do within ourselves. And it wasn't until I healed my deeper abandonment, neglect, and lack of healthy attachment, my deep distrust of the universe, and feelings of being unloved and unlovable, that I was actually able to show up as a full grown-up to have a mature, healthy love exchange. And that goes for my friendships as well. As I have grown in self-love and my experience of universal love, feeling like God, the life force, actually gives a shit about me as it cares deeply about all of us because we are intrinsically connected to it. As I continue to grow and heal and develop, there's a direct correlation of the quality, the depth, and the overall positive experiences I have in all my relationships. And that is the good news. I was told that until I could love myself, I could not truly love another. And I'm going to say that's crap because I was incapable of loving myself. And it was through wanting to be actually helpful, supportive, compassionate, to learn how to be a good friend and a healthy partner It was through growing in my capacity to love selflessly that I developed the capacity to turn that toward myself and love myself. It's the great thing about relationships. 
We grow in all directions if we can be open, honest, and mindful about what's really happening. Paying attention to the joy-pain continuum of my interactions with other people. It's important information, and it's information about me. Again, what are my motives? What is the exchange that's happening in this relationship, whether it's at work, in your family, in your bedroom, or in your social circle? Joy and pain are information. And if our intention is to grow in the capacity to give and receive love, then there's always an opportunity to grow and evolve and develop. And from my perspective today, love is not a feeling. Love is an intention. Love is an action. Love is a perspective. Now, there might be a lot of feelings engaged with it as I experience that exchange. And love relationships are complicated, often a swirling, even messy mix of joy and suffering. But at its base, real love calls us to grow because optimally that's what we do here. Because on the deepest levels, growth, evolution, and progress is what really makes us happy. We often think that security, safety, commitment is what we're seeking. We want to grasp onto things, make them solid, so we won't experience loss, loneliness, fear. But it's an illusion because everything is impermanent. And on some level, we all know that. No matter how loving our parent is, no matter how deep our care for our own children, we can be married for 65 years. I knew a couple who was married for 65 years. It was a terrible relationship. (laughs) And then they died. And that's the impermanence. We all know that. There is no permanence. And we often seek that security, seeking that permanence through another person. And we call that love. And I'm going to say that is not love. Security might be a part of it, and commitment absolutely has its place. But when commitment becomes obligation, it's no longer rooted in love. And there's value in being uncommitted to be with the people in my life because I really want to be there deeply right now. And how open, how honest, how helpful can we be with each other in our interactions and exchanges today? There's some excellent questions to ask to deepen your relationships, all relationships, family, friends, lovers. Is there more for me to learn here? How am I being called to grow in this relationship? What do I bring to this person? And what do they bring to me? And that question, where am I being called to grow, has become central to my own relational life across the board. As Eckhart Tolle says, we always have three choices in relationship. We can accept what is, we can ask for or take action for change, or we can remove ourselves. I've been married twice, and my second marriage was long and healthy and produced two beautiful kids. And my first marriage was a train wreck, ended in bankruptcy, and he's dead now. I didn't kill him, though I thought about it a few times. (laughs) And it was the most powerful falling in love experience I ever had. The first time we had sex when we were done, he said, will you marry me? And I said, yes. Yikes. And I hoped he could complete me, and he hoped that I could fix him. And it was the most toxic, dysfunctional relationship I've ever had. And he was one of my greatest teachers. 
He was a poster child for the man you don't want to marry, couldn't hold a job, couldn't tell the truth, couldn't stay faithful, couldn't stay sober, and I couldn't live without him. He was like a plug in the hole of my own soul wounding. And it was easy to blame him for all the problems, but again, I had to come to the fact that I had chosen him. In fact, blaming him was a big part of the problem, and I was furious that he wasn't able to make me whole. And I imagine he was disappointed that I couldn't fix him. I cried the day we got married because I knew it was a mistake, but I didn't have the balls to call it off. Anybody who calls off a wedding, I see it happen in the news. I am always like, kudos to that person. That takes so much guts to call off a wedding. After everybody's made their plans and you send out the invitations, I made a very conscious decision to stay in that relationship because I knew that I had chosen it. And it was an opportunity for me to look at why and what needed to be healed in me. And that although he looked like the problem, I was 50% of that dynamic. And although I'm certainly not advising everyone to stay in a bad relationship, he was not the first man of that type I had been with, the kind of super sexy bad boy. And I was advised that this was an opportunity to dissolve or resolve those underlying issues that were driving that dynamic so that I wouldn't repeat it again in the future. And I'm going to tell you it worked. In fact, at the end of that relationship, I had my first period of intentional celibacy. Incredible experience. I'll do a podcast on that some other time. And it was through that excruciating relationship and my subsequent deep time with myself that that hole in my soul was revealed and healed. And I have become capable of showing up as a whole person, continuing to grow in my abilities and capacities to give and receive love, to celebrate the people in my life and the unique quirkiness of who they are, rather than trying to change them to suit me. Asking, what can I bring? And what does this person bring to me? And that living, emergent mystery is the essence of love as I understand it. Thank you so much for listening. I just passed 20,000 downloads. Thanks, guys. Deep gratitude to my supporters on Patreon. And if you're interested to find out how spiritual psychology might benefit you in your life or to learn more about my three-month mentorship program, shoot me an email, info at reneemckenna.com. Check us out on Instagram at Open Door Growth. We just released our first digital course, Intro to Shamanism, Lower World. We're going to be starting an online group for people who want to share and learn and grow together in community. If you want to be part of the tribe, let us know. I'm doing a couple of Instagram lives this week. Tuesday, June 1st, 10 a.m. Pacific, I'll be talking to Michael Smith, who's a very powerful shamanic healer author of the book Jung and Shamanism. And Thursday, June 3rd, also at 10 a.m. Pacific, I'll be continuing my discussion with Neil Allen, author of Shapes of Truth, about the work we both do helping people dissolve and resolve the inner critic. And if you want a free download of the first chapters of my book, there's a link in the show notes. There's also a link to that digital course that I mentioned. If you want to learn more about the power of the shamanic journey, Blessings on your path until we meet again. This is Renee LaValle McKenna for Spiritual Psychology.